Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Cormac Rabbit. He's the promoter at Metro Dublin. Cormac, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk about kind of the transportation industry and kind of the, you know, revolution that's probably going to happen in the next, you know, few decades. But maybe before we kind of get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Yeah, I grew up in a small town in the west of Ireland called Galway, um, Gal- on Galway Bay. Okay. Um, it's a university town and hospital town, so it's quite a dynamic environment to live in. Okay. And and so you you went to university. What did you take in university? I took civil engineering in University College Galway in the National University of Ireland. And then I went on to do a master's in industrial engineering. Okay, so so what got you kind of passionate about, you know, engineering kind of early on? Well, what got me passionate about it, my father was a civil engineer. And okay. as a young child, I traveled the breadth and length of Ireland looking er, with him um, and looking at various projects. Um, you know, when I was 9, 10 and 11 and 12, I used to accompany him to um, building sites and I got all the lore of what's happening in construction so I had a very deep interest in the whole area of construction okay. and development. Sure. So walk me through kind of you, you're out of university, walk me through kind of your career before you ended up at kind of uh, the Metro Dublin. Yeah, my career, I spent over 20 years with local authority Okay. Um, where I where I was involved in what you call roads and transportation end of, of, of roads. Um, there I would have had um, roads planning control and planning applications for development and then um, alignment of roads and motorways and so on, you know, um, that would have been my responsibility. Okay. No, very cool. So... <clears throat> You're you're kind of been involved in this industry for a long period of time, and and one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show was because it seems like so many people are talking about you know different types of kind of high speed transportation. You have Elon Musk with the Hyperloop, or you know building faster trains, or maybe like taking a little kind of aircraft, maybe just leaving the Earth's orbit and just coming back, you know, down just so commute times are you know, just at least doable where you could maybe fly from, you know, New York City to London or something in hours instead of, you know, how long it traditionally takes now or, you know, the Hyperloop that Elon Musk has kind of proposed where, you know, it's hours from New York City to LA or or something like that. But I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on kind of the logistics of actually building some of these high-speed kind of transportation systems because when you and I talked months ago you had some really interesting kind of thoughts about the challenges of actually building some of this stuff because it's such heavy infrastructure. Right Um, first I'd say it must be one of the most exciting times to be in transportation because we're really coming to a wall of change you just have to look at the 
boiler industry and, you know, the development of diesel engines has virtually stopped um, because all the money is going into uh, electric engines. Okay. Um, I think it's a, a very hard changeover for the industry. Um, so it takes newcomers in to, to revolutionize it. Um, the whole basis of, say, the rail industry, um, what you call is the loading gauge. And um, it's so restrictive. And the people in the industry are so into um, the improvements they've made over the years that they find it difficult to leave them behind and take on the new concepts and the new ways. Um, so when you think about it, you know, people like Elon Musk and others um, have come in and they don't see all the difficulties and the problems that everybody in the industry have been trying to solve for years and years to get incremental improvements. And he steps outside all of that and he says, look, let's just, you know, speed up tunneling machines, do hyperloops, do this, do that um, on it. You know, in the beginning, that type of process, you're going to see a lot of, you know, um, pulling it apart and, you know, impossible to do it this way or that way. But eventually you find ways of doing things. Um, so I, I, what I think will happen is that, you know, for a start, you know, they're talking about um, capsules with 58 people in it mm -hmm. or less even uh, on it. I mean, if you know anything about transportation, um, insatiable demand is top priority. Sure, you need sure. be, to be able to move masses of people, very flexible and so on. If you take, for example, the French TGV, in 1981, they opened up the route between um, um, Lyon to the south of Paris. Okay. And within years, it was at capacity. Um, they tried to, you know, speed up the trains with three-minute intervals um, or reduce the gaps. Then kind of the limitations came in with braking systems and so on. So they really had to, they couldn't widen the carriages because the gauge um, the the loading gauge, what you call it, the width of the train and the clearances would be very, very awkward. So they made a, they used a double deck train and instead of the TGV, they call it the LGV. Okay. And they increased capacity by 45%. Now, I'm just taking that as an example, because if you're talking about going from San Francisco to, um, to Los Angeles or whatever, by high speed train, you know, transporting you know, 50 people, um, you know, it's, it's just, you'll never make the numbers, you know, whereas the single LGV train in France would take 350. So, you know, you gotcha. know, that's what six times, you know, seven, five, seven times more. Um, yeah, so th that's the type of, of scenario you need to be considering. Um, I'd also think that you need to be considering um you know, this business of twin tunnels or single tunnels. Um, if you take San Jose at the moment, they're um, considering using a single large tunnel, yeah. um, what they know, what's known as the Barcelona Tunnel. Um, um, Nicolas de la Valle is the guy who designed it in Barcelona. And um, you, the, like two twin tunnels, if you had a... a, a, a a twin tunnel, three meter diameter, or uh, three meter diameter, um, sorry, a six meter diameter, um, two twin tunnels 
six meter diameter has the same outer surface area as a single tunnel that is 12 meters diameter. Okay. Um, yeah, it's quite interesting because the risk in tunneling is proportional to the surface area of the tunnel okay. more than it is than the diameter of the tunnel. And the logistics of building a tunnel, it's easier to build one tunnel than to build two tunnels. Interesting. Yeah, and if you build one large tunnel, the difference between a small tunnel and a large tunnel is the, um, you just have to have bigger um, mechanizations to dig it out. But that's the cheapest part of it. You'll still need three or four crews to work at 24-7, seven days a week. Um, but mucking it out is the cheapest part. Um, so, you know, you end up with an area... Instead of if you have two three meter or two six meter diameter tunnels, and you, you, which I said has the same surface area as one large tunnel of twelve meters diameter, you have actually four times the area within the tunnel to work with. Right. So what does what does that do for you? You know, it solves other problems like how to manage maintenance in the tunnel because you have room to do it, how, how to get access to emergencies, you have room to do it, how to have safe areas for passengers if something goes wrong, you have room to do it, you know, build special rooms along the tunnel, protected areas and so on. Um, and the speed of tunneling is, is just as fast with a big tunnel, if not faster, then it is actually faster than two small tunnels because with the small tunnels, you have a lot of subsidiary works building cross passages and so on. Um, uh, you know, Seattle took the same decision um, to go for a single tunnel instead of dual um, tunnels. Their, their dual tunnels were something were over 11 meters in diameter, um, whereas the, the larger tunnel, I think, is around 17 meters in diameter. Interesting. Um, but it, it worked out cheaper. And, you know, just to finish on that is that a city like Barcelona built their tunnel would have cost twice as much had they built um, um, dual tunnels, you know, twin tunnels. Sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm assured by experts in the area that who, who um, that the fire hazard in this, the smaller single tunnels is much worse. For example, in a city, it can take you 42 minutes to evacuate a single tunnel. Oh, wow. You know, you can think of a, a thousand people with hardly any room at the side, you know, less than a meter at each side of the train to get out. Sure. Or a, lar a larger tunnel, which can be evacuated in 12 minutes in the worst circumstances as compared to 42. Yeah, it's kind of a no-brainer uh, then, right? It's a, it's a no-brainer. And when you look at the accident records, you know, and it's all about not being able to get access to the tunnels for the rescuers or for the people to get out you could take the channel tunnel for example you know there's a twin tunnels in that and there's a tunnel in the center and everybody says great you know we have a tunnel in the center everybody got out yeah but it nearly killed everybody why because all the ventilation systems were all going in the wrong direction so it's a it's virtually impossible to control such a multifaceted ventilation systems that you have with twin tunnels you know, as a single tunnel, you have, you only have a fraction of the interfaces sure. for your airflow and so on. Yeah. So depending on how long you are kind of underground for, do you have to, at what point do you have to maybe potentially 
start really building a really good ventilation system or is it pretty much no matter how size you how big or small it is you need to start you know kind of pumping in oxygen or figuring out some sort of ventilation system how big yeah well that's the major problem not being faced up to by elon musk and so on you know the kind of thing smaller tunnels are quicker and easier to build that's not the case and um, the vent, the the ventilation system. You have to have emergency access and egress from from tunnels. Oh, okay. So you have to have ventilation shafts built at very regular intervals. Um, with the with with the um, larger tunnel, you can have the escape exits built within the tunnel, so you can have much longer between, um, you know, ventilation shafts because you have much bigger areas to pump in air and extract air. Uh, with it, uh, which was in the larger tunnel. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah, because I, I guess, because if you're trapped in like a little capsule or something, they would have to be pumping in oxygen or, or something, right? Well, it, it could always be air, you know. Um, no, if you go scuba diving and, you, you know, you have oxygen and nitrogen and you sure. go down to a depth, the oxygen compresses more than, than, than the nitrogen. So people get the narcs, narcosis, you know, with what we call it here, you know, because of the bubbles in your blood. And that's sure. due to the nitrogen being in it. Now, I don't know the dynamics of the opposite when you go to a lower pressure. But the, 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 um, the resistance to movement is proportional to the cube of, uh, 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 of the air density. Okay. So if you, can, if you can get the air density, the number of kilograms per cubic meter, if you can get that down from, say, 1.24 um, kilograms per cubic meter, which is that atmospheric, to, to down to, you know, half of that, you're going to reduce the, um, the resistance um, to transport moving in a tunnel um, by a huge amount. Um, yeah, okay. That's interesting. So I'm curious then, obviously going above ground is cheaper than going underground, correct? Um, not necessarily so. Um, okay. You, you, you take, you know, in um, nowadays, if you have a tunnel and you're talking about an incremental length, once, you, once you've got the tunnel boring machine going, now, I'd assume that you would have a, a separate tunnel boring machine for every five or, t you know, b between seven and 15 kilometers. Okay. You, you, so you, you would be able to launch, you know, if you had 100 kilometers, you'd, you'd launch maybe 12 tunnel boring machines along the route. Right. Uh, so you could build it. You know, they would take a, um, a specific period to build it, but it could all be done at the same time. And if one tunnel boring machine fails, you bring the one behind it or in front of it. Right. back in the other direction to complete it, you know, to complete the one that failed and so on. Um, your question there was, sorry, I, I, um, about, about the, oh, yeah, to build underground, cut and cover are on surface or over surface. Sure. You know, how, how does it compare? Well, basically to compare it would be is that, give you an example, in Madrid in line, in line 12, the metro sewer, the south metro, one section of it was cut and cover, and that delayed the whole project by four months. Oh, wow. So you had you had yeah you had um, an enormous project of forty kilometers of tunnel of metro system delayed four months. That's a huge amount of money signed in redundant for four months. Sure, there's no there's no cash flowing, and um, you don't have control of your environment uh, as much, and you're into 
um, disturbances and and so on. Um, like tunnel boring machines are so sophisticated now. You know, you you can have um, what's known as double shield tunnels, um, which is kind of a, a, a each shield is a new safety level on the front of it. You can have high pressure tunnel tunnels, and the front of them is higher pressure with foam injected out in front of them to stabilize the ground and pressurize the ground before the tunnel approaches the ground. So if you set up a tunnel and the incremental amount per, per kilometre is actually quite small and the tunneling part, the stations is the expensive part. You know, two thirds of, of us in, in, in the city is to do with stations. Okay, interesting. Like, like the, the civils would, would be about 70, 75% of your overall cost and two thirds of that is, is, is your stations. Okay. Um, so if you can save something by... Um, building stations better and cheaper, um, which we propose to do in Dublin, and um, we've taken out a patent on a on 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 a on a station where the platforms are um, offset from each other instead of being one on top of the other vertically. We've offset them one. Uh, we've we've offset them one to one side and down. So we. We've asked them both horizontally and vertically with each other, and the same with platforms. So you'd have a platform on top of a rail line, and a rail line on top of a platform. Oh, so that gives you, that yeah, that gives you a whole different dynamics in tunnels. Um, to build stations and um, to build wide platforms in in, in smaller tunnels. Um, for example, in, instead of maybe a four meter platform like you got in Barcelona. In you would get maybe a, a six and a half meter platform in that layout. Oh, interesting. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and it also allows you to. That would save an immense amount of money um, in building um, stations. Sure. Um, um, and con- and construction time because the construction time is in building the stations, not in building the tunnel. Oh, interesting. Like, I never would have guessed that. Yeah. Like if you take Madrid, they they would have had to order a tunnel boring machine, which would have taken 11, 12 months to order and to set up. Right. But in, in that time, you really have to build your launch pad anyway. So it's going to take you that time. Sure. And you, want, you might have to build five or six launch pads. Sure. And that time, and which happened in Metrosur, 40 kilometers, they had six launch pads or six, probably five launch pads and one section was cut and covered. Um, so your tunnel boring machine has been bought and set up. Your tunnel boring machine will be through all the stations before the stations are finished. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And, and, yeah. No, that's interesting to me. So I'm curious, what are some of the kind of challenges you guys are currently facing in in Dublin with with the metro system there? Um, from the engineering, very little really because the ground conditions are excellent for tunneling in Dublin. We have okay. a, a limestone, um, which is very suitable for tunneling. Um, the challenges really are, are um, could I say, bureaucracy. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, no, fair. Which, which, which we don't mind. Um, but it, it's really, um, th- that would be the major challenges. Like... Almost 20 years ago, I brought in the the Japanese consortium to actually offer to build a full metro system for Dublin. Okay. And that initiated the 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 the, the whole process. But since then, between economic collapse 
gaps and um, wanting to go back to old methods of, 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 of contract. Um, the thing has been delayed and postponed on it. And um, unfortunately, Dublin, like many other cities, is an absolute traffic meltdown um, sure. on it. And as as we see, the biggest challenge is that doing something incrementally is of little benefit um, to the city because the city is growing faster. Sure. If you only, sure. if you only take care of one area, you, you you really do very little for the city as a whole. Sure. So you sure. you need to do a transformational change um, in, in in transport uh, that integrates with all the other modes of transport. Of transport as well and that's what we're trying to do and we're quite advanced with it um, we're hoping to kick off within the next couple of months and we will build it extremely fast um, because we've looked at the best practice in the world we've looked at the best people in the world who who have constructed tunnels most successfully and we're we're, we're following um, their procedures um, of doing it all within the current legislation and, and contracts that we use here in, in, in Dublin. Um, you know, we're not inventing any wheels or we're not, we're not, we're, you know, we're using proven um, um, met- methodologies and so on. Sure. So is that um, a lot of the stuff taken from kind of the Japanese or, or what kind of parts of the world have you guys kind of taken ideas and things that have worked from or is there kind of one main kind of country or, or is it kind of just spread out it's fairly spread out um it's it's there's a few pockets here and there of you know very um good tra- contract methods okay um how the risk is shared um which um there's a great reluctance to for for um, you know, governments to take on board because it's something new. Um, so where have we looked at? Well, well, basically we'll be building you know using Irish methods and our Irish so on and so forth. But we've looked at the contract methods used in in Madrid, um, which really was a management of the variances in a contract, where there is. It was like two levels of contract. One was to build between A and B, say about five or six kilometers. Um, the risk was totally taken by the employer, but they set up a whole subsidiary method of managing variances in the contract. So when issues arose, they dealt with them immediately. There was nobody looking back on um, drawings, trying to say, trying to defend drawings. They were just trying to find solutions the whole way through. So they did about 20 or 30 different um, things in the contracts, like ring fencing the money, paying the contractor in time, um, and so on. So they built extremely fast and extremely cheap. On a technological end, they used what would be considered at the time was um, tunnel boring machines that had twice or three times the power necessary to build the tunnel. Okay. Because they didn't want it to fail. Sure. Um, they, you know, the machine to slow down. Um, the same with other equipment. They, they, they took a whole lot of initiatives like that uh, on it, um, and how they integrated different contracts and how, uh, you know, they, if they had a line of like take the one the forty kilometer line, uh, all underground, um, 
how they integrated those they they were they were very aware and did it very well so um the, like the cost of and the time of all of, of tunneling and all that is down to how you manage your 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 contracts and how you manage the risk within that and and how you ring fence your finance and how you give control to three people a bureaucrat a technical person and a good administrator and and uh, maybe somebody who's got political uh, can can weigh up the political decisions very quickly sure so i'm curious then how do you because obviously it probably takes years before from kind of the day you start planning to it actually being finished how do you think about the technology or because obviously they have faster you know and better technology from the day you start to kind of when it's finished because it takes years how do you guys kind of plan for that kind of almost like future proofing is maybe the wrong word for it but i can't really think of anything else for it but so it's still kind of fresh and new when it actually is live and ready for people to use yeah um it's not that difficult really um you know um basically um you can have a metro line and it can be standalone you know okay. because it, it it's it's not integrated with other systems but really you want everything to be you know have the same gauge the same width of carriage and the same clearances and so on and um that's kind of why i think that the hyperloop that you really need to consider larger trains and you need to consider a different type of, of tunnel, say, for bringing containers from San Francisco from the Bay inland to a, a dry port or something. Um, but how do you deal with the step change in technology? Um, that, I think um, we're very embedded with, with what's there already. Um, like integrating rail lines, you're moving massive weights and you have to be you know and you and the gaps you need between them and so on are very get very complex very quickly sure and and people say okay we'll have all these small cars buzzing around the place and and so on and so forth but if you're talking about a city you really have to talk about an extensive transportation system and um how it integrates with the other systems because the bigger system is like a beast you feed the beast and then the beast, you know, does the kill, but the, the beast then feeds all the other animals, you know, that, that come along and chase it away or whatever, sure, sure. you know, so yep. it's, it's all part of a system. Now, one of the big problems is you have people comparing, you know, um, buses and rail and uh, and so on and, and walking and cycling. You, that should never be the case. You know, it should be if a system is good, it's good because it's good. It's not good because some other because some other system is bad. Um, and if you take any development of a lot of cities, you take, you know, two good cities to look at would be Vienna and Milan. Okay. They have a, a, a network like like a net or a, a, um, like a web. You know, you've got you've you've got a trans system and you've got a rail system um, and he, the stations can, you know, feed lines in different directions. But what's interesting about um, those cities is particularly like Vienna is that they took the trams out of the city centre, just, you know, it's kind of a, a, a square mile and the trams come 200 metres within that square mile and um, 
but they only have cross lines um, through the city and kind of a circular tram line around uh, 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 and lines come in to a city tangentially and go out in another line. Um, but what's interesting in, in, in Vienna to me is that they made all the mistakes you can possibly make with transport. But eventually in the mid-70s, they re, or the early 70s, they, re, they were building a super trans system with, with parts of it underground in the city centre and they had two thirds of it built and they realised it was wrong. They ripped it out, ripped out the trams, built, made the tunnel a bit bigger, put in a metro and they have one of the highest uses of public transportation in the world, you know, one of the most successful. And what you find out from that is that, and Milan, is that the amount of people that use public transport is not so much down to density. It's down to the the geography of the network that you lay out. Um, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's very obvious when you think about it. Um, if you go to a station and... A train you can go in either direction, but if it's if there's two lines crossing each other, you've got four directions to go to. So you're not just twice as likely to go to the station; you're probably three times as likely to go to the station. So if you can complete your journey by rail, and you've got good options to do it and a proper system to do it, you're likely to use it. So that that that's, would be Vienna and Milan for you, and sure. some other cities. So have you found though that, say, it takes me I don't know a 30 minute commute, um, by car, but it takes me, you know, an hour or maybe an hour and a half on like public transit. Is there like a sweet spot where people are willing to say, well, I'd maybe take, you know, public transit if it takes me just like, you know, 15 minutes longer than the car, or is it double, or is it kind of like, it needs to be pretty close to, how long it takes them to drive or, or how do you kind of, how have you found that over the years working in the industry? Um, well, thinking about it, it's all about the sweet spot. Okay. Um, like you just divided up transport into all the different forms there. Um, but if, instead of basing it on the mode of transport, consider just the individual and the individual just thinks me, I'm, I want to get from A to B. Sure. One minute you're cycling. Sometimes you're walking, it could be in a car and a motorbike or a bus or a train, but it's only the one movement. Now, I did a survey um, in, my, in, in the west of Ireland, the city in Galway, where I grew up. And from all the questionnaires, I just found that people didn't care about what mode of transport. They just wanted transport, you know, sure. and it was very interesting. So integrating, you know, park and ride and and, and um, it means that you would set up your, 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 your how you deal with transport in a totally different way um, um, you know from the individual's point of view not from um, in this mode and that mode on it okay um, so that would leave you much more flexible now um, most of the systems that are built are built very they're old and they're they're, they're not efficient um, um, you know you look at interchanges on, on motorways, most of them are terribly badly sure. laid out yep. um, and so on. Now, same with with, with with transportation system, but that doesn't particularly matter. You know, to, to, you've just got to make incremental improvements. Um, like London has been trying to undo the mistakes they made with the metro um, going back generations. They didn't connect up the trains across the city so the train line 
lines that came in could discharge hundreds and hundreds of people, but the metro stations that were at the top of them could hardly carry the number of people, you know. So you, you, you need to kind of step back and um, almost redesign okay. on it um, and not be afraid to redo it. Like if you look at Madrid, they rebuilt most of their metro lines in the last um, two decades. Interesting. Yeah, and, and doubled the amount of, of metro lines they have um, in that time as well. Okay. No, that that's actually quite fascinating. And do you find part part of it is yeah, maybe mistakes they made in the past, but or is it is part of it also just how we kind of live our lives and we're more on the go now more than we were before, or is it kind of pretty similar to where it was maybe, you know, three or four decades ago? Um, I think there's a lot of similarities. Okay. Um I think this business of mistakes is overemphasized. You know, if you take a child getting up and walking, they Mm -hmm. fall over all the time. They make every mistake and you tell them to get up and walk proper. You know, you try and direct them, but they'll still fall over. But there's advantages of falling over. You learn learn your balance. So when you grow up, you're not clumsy, you know. Sure. Uh, If if you crawl and all that first. It's the same with a city. Um, You have to go through the different forms, uh, you know, of, of transport. There's no right form. Um, there's what they do in, say, in Vienna, which I was describing, they say, well, trams work well here, metro works well here, buses work well here, each where each is strongest, right. you know, cycling works well here, but it's, it's, it's not so much that one is good and one is bad. It's, you know, it, it's a mix and match. Um, and, and that's the way life is. So. And that's the way we are. You know, you could be out there pushing a child in, in, in I don't know, you call them in buggies or we call them, sure. yeah. you know, push yeah, chair. Stroller, yeah. 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 yeah, you could be, stroller, you could be out there one minute or in the afternoon pushing a stroller and you, two hours later you could be cycling and an hour later you could be in a car so you are on a bus. So you're all of these things and it needs to go back to the individual. So your question about, you know, the sweet point is that people work around systems you know, to optimize the best way they can find for them. Um, so I think that's, that's you know, all these kind of solutions of busways and, you know, cycling is great. Like I remember, you know, China, that, that hundreds of thousands of, of, of bicycles. It wasn't great, you know, sure. <laughs> it wasn't heaven. <laughs> so <laughs> to try and get to hundreds of thousands of bicycles in your city, you know, but it, it might be good to have a lot of cyclists. It's, it's, it's not a solution. It's not a solution for everybody. And, um, you know, you, um, I'm, I think, you know, with, with, with um, self-driving cars and so on, if you have a good metro system and shared cars and all of that, it's all part of an integrated bunch between taxis and lift sharing and you, you name it. Um, it's a matter of matching everything together, you know. Sure. No, that that's actually a really interesting point and, and makes a lot of sense. And I think the thing that's that got me kind of thinking about this as we're talking is you're right, like the, the self-driving car is potentially just another component to this. And, and to your point about um, cycling, like obviously if you live in kind of a cold, maybe snowy climate, well, you're not going to cycle, right? Or not, you're not going to get majority of the population to cycle 
you know, during those cold winter months, like I, I used to work with a guy and we get snow here where I'm from. And, and so he used to ride his bike to work every day, no matter how cold and snowy it was. But he's in, in such a tiny minority of people that are willing to bike in, in those conditions. So to your point about having kind of different things, even just based on the climate you live in is, is huge, right? And optimizing for the geographical region that you're, you're in. Yeah, and he's he's a particular physique, and he's at a particular time in his life, so it suits him. Yeah, sure. And, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you, you basically you you should look at transport. You should look at what's the proper thing to do. You, you stop looking at going down the, the I was going to say down the track of, um, you know, you you build it because you you don't build rail system because people haven't got cars. You build it because you want to give access to people. Sure. You know, and, and a way of life. And you know how, how tied it up it is with, you know, people who have a long distance to commute to work will describe their work as bad. And people who have a short distance to commute will be much happier at work. Yeah. But, but like, I mean, that could be you for, for two or three years and then you're gone to some other place. And yeah. you could be commuting an hour again, you know, and vice versa. Um. So I think it's time we 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 approached uh, what needs to be done with imagination and let people out there do it. You know, there's there's we've had great builders in the past, and there are some builders there now that are as good as anybody, if not better than in the past. Sure. And I mean that's you know we're going we're seeing you're, we're seeing a transformation of, of of transport. You know, with new rocket engines, and that's going to lead to to um, planes that shoot up into the, the the stratosphere and go go from the US to Australia, you know, because why? The more powerful engines than that 20 years ago, you know, it's going to be less of a, a bother to do it. Sure. A design, a design um, it's not such an obstacle now as it was even 10 years ago, you know. No, totally. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then as it gets cheaper just for kind of, everyday person to afford it right kind of like air travel now most people if they want to take a plane ride somewhere you know if they save for a period of time they could do it right where like i know they're i think for the super super rich right now you can pay to go up in space or, or something right and it's you know millions of dollars or something to do that and obviously only a select few of the population could afford to do that right so as it kind of comes down in cost and price you know, air travel to, you know, or faster air travel, whether you leave the atmosphere or not is, is going to only come down in price. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yes. I mean, travel, it brings such benefits to people, but it also, you know, we get great um, value from it because all, all the goods we buy are transported, sure. you know, long sure. distances. Now that's not something new. I mean, Goods being transported long distance has been going on for hundreds of years. Sure. In 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 mega quantities, you know, if anybody cares to look at the amount of wheat moved from the central states via the Great Lakes to Europe, you know, in in, in the eighteen hundreds, was huge. Sure. It just you took know, longer, and, right? and so on. It took longer, um, but they had fairly sophisticated steamships, you know. Sure. Um, they, uh, uh, and so on, you know, they, they didn't take that long. That fairly refined, and like even a thousand years ago, you could buy anything from all parts of the world. Um, 
in markets, you know. Yeah, that's um, cool. You know, very extensive. So it's it's not new. It's 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 something that's ongoing. Only now it's it's the population is bigger, but the amount of transport is proportionally bigger. You know. Sure, and it, I guess it just kind of seems that it's more in the media lately, right? Over the last couple of years, because people are pitching these kind of grand ideas, right? That are getting huge kind of media publicity. Yeah, yeah. And um, some of the ideas are, well, you know, if you take a, a atmospheric tube or a tunnel, you know, and lower the pressure, you're going to um, reduce the energy consumption hugely, which is very, very welcome. Sure. So there's great benefit from going down these paths, but when you go down these paths, you're going, you're going to really have to, yeah, you're going to have to have your train in a tunnel, and your your train in the tunnel is going to have to have all the safety features you can think of and more. Sure. And you don't want the train going at supersonic speed <laughs> to your neighbourhood, but sure. if it's in a low atmospheric tunnel, it's not going to make any noise. Right. You know, and do you build that on the surface or underground? Well, you know, if you if you can do, say, four meters uh, an hour or something in a, in, in a tunnel boring machine, you're going, to, you're going to cover a hell of a lot of distance in a year sure. with a couple of with a few tunnel boring machines. You know, and that's quite easily that, that it is achievable. They, you know, they've, they've 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 done it many 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 times. That average um, over over a year and more, like you know, so it's 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 quite doable. Um, so I know a lot of the the the, um, the talk about is that you know some of these ideas are a way out. Yes, they are, and people who are in the industry know all the problems, and they're right because they know the problems and what they talk about is right. But there's other methods and solutions that arise from the people who are pushing pushing the the the, the limits. We're pushing the limits forward, you know. Um, sure. you know that's but it's very, it's very very difficult for the industry to take it on board why because you have the vested interests um, uh, like to protect their patch and that's their job you know to, to have secure um, systems that work but they're going to be left behind so far you know within a few years it's like the iPhone came in 10 years ago and sure you can't imagine what life is like without it. Well, same in transport. We're getting new materials. We're getting um, new process. Well, new processes. We we've already got the process. A lot of the process that need to be used. It's just a matter of putting them together. No, totally. That that makes a lot of sense. So we're coming to the end of the show. So let's close with maybe mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and uh, you know anything else that you want to mention. Um, well, more information on myself. Um, it, it, I, I have a website now. It's probably the worst website in the world, metrodublin.ie. Okay. Um, IE is Ireland, IE. Um, about myself, just email me. Um, what I'm at at the moment is we want to build an extensive metro system in Dublin of about 90 kilometres. Um, Dublin doesn't have a rapid transit system at the moment. It has we have a what's called a Dublin area rapid transit system that goes along the coast, but the frequency of the trains is so low and the trains are so slow 
um, it, it, you couldn't count it as a rapid transit system. We have an airport in Dublin that's carrying, I think it was seven, 27 million passengers last year and doesn't have a rail connection to it. Um, it's actually the second busiest international airport in the world. The Dublin-London route is the, uh, is the second biggest, busiest international route in the world after Taipei, I think, and China is, is, is the one before that. Interesting. But um, we have a very dynamic economy um, that we're coming to a stagnation where our, our road is blocking almost every second day or the major arteries in Dublin, the whole motorway around Dublin. It's like Dublin is like Boston. It's a similar area in size with a ring motorway and, and a few radial routes into it. Um, but Dublin clogs up um, off peak time. Um, every other day um, so something dramatic has to be done and I'm prepared to do it um, I'm at the basis of seed, fin seed financing or seed funding I should say sure. um, and we want to build 90 um, kilometres about um, 27 of that is upgrading existing lines we need to upgrade existing lines because we need critical mass in our transportation system um, to generate customers so people have choice. You need, um, like I've said, you need you need a comprehensive system for transformational change. Um, and we can do that. We have the plan, we have the methodology, we have the people, and we have the expertise on board. Um, we're just waiting to, to, to write some of the um, we like we have the legislation in, in place. We have we're empowered by legislation to do what we need to do, um, but we're very we're just getting to the starting block. Um, um, the last six months, and I can't see it getting to the starting block for another three months. So I'm I'm with time slippages. <laughs> I'm kind of saying, you know, where are we going? Sure. No, that that's interesting. Well. Cormac, I really appreciate you taking the time under your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your night. Thanks very much, Kevin. It was lovely talking to you. Thanks. We'll talk soon. Here you go. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.